Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Greg's lesson today is in Psalm 119, titled, A Day in the Thought Life, Continued. So here we are in part two. If you weren't here last week, I'm going to give you just a brief, brief recap of what, what took place to get you up to speed. We're talking about our thought life and what that looks like. And for many years, <clears throat> I was afraid to tell anybody about my thought life in, in this regard that I thought I was the only person who had a bajillion weird thoughts passing through my mind all the time. I looked out at people and everybody looks so calm and cool and collected. And uh, I thought, I'm the weird one that has a bajillion thoughts just running through my mind all the time. Well, come to find out, when I got into counseling, I began to understand God's Word and open it up a little bit more. And I, I had an opportunity to test my theories to say, well, maybe other people are as weird as I am. And I'm counting on that, that that's still true for you because most of my counselees, what ends up happening is that I will say, what well, sounds to me like you're thinking this and doing this, and they're going like, how did you know? And really what was happening is I'm helping them, but they're validating for me, making me feel not quite so crazy because I have a, just all these thoughts going through my mind. Uh, so I, did some, I did a deep dive into the number of thoughts that we have per day, and uh, I don't know how accurate it is, but I found varying numbers between 6,000 thoughts per day and about 70,000 thoughts per day. That's what, that's what these studies had shown. That's the number of people, thoughts that people think. Now, uh, we, can, we can think very fast, faster than we can type and talk, and therefore things just run through our minds all the time, at least for most of us. If, if this doesn't apply to you, then, then I, I think good for you. But I think, I think most of us, that, that's kind of daunting sometimes, the number of thoughts that run through our brain and the weirdness and sometimes just downright evil thoughts that we think. Um, that's up to, up to six, six a minute or maybe even up to like one per second that we just have these thoughts going on. And then uh, our premise from the Scripture is this, that, that God has, has something to say about the way we think and about what we think. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said this to us. We recapped this from last week. That Paul said we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so all these thoughts that come through our mind, it's, it's our job as believers to, to see if these, these thoughts are good and godly or whether they need to be eliminated or pushed off. And sometimes we can't help with it they come through, but we can certainly help push them on through and not spend any time on them where they begin to burn our hearts and burn our souls in a negative way. And so that's the premise where we are. We're talking about your brain, your, your mind, which are two different things. The brain is the matter. The mind is the way we use that. And God says a lot about our mind. And what if we, if we use our mind for God and we allow Him to permeate our lives, then we find that we have great benefit. Our key passage last week and again this week is here found in Psalm 119.11. We say to God, we say, Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So God's word comes into our lives and it protects us. It keeps us from going off the rails to the right or to the left and keeps us centered on God's word. Now notice that the key here is is the Word. It's not science. You know, it, a lot of so-called truth gets pushed off on us by using these kind of phrases like, well, most scientists agree. And, uh, or even you hear all scientists agree. Or the experts say 
And then once the experts say it, oh, who are you to question it, right? Authorities say this thing, or even studies show that X, Y, and Z, and I've even cited a few studies here. Take them or leave them. They may or may not be true. The great thing is when we quote properly the Word of God, the authority has spoken. There's no other thing to be said about it. You can agree with it or you can disagree with it, but when you find God's Word working in your life, then what happens is that He begins to change you and He gives you protection against the sin, the wrongdoing that you may, may do if you had not otherwise thought about uh, God's Word in the middle of that, that trouble. And so uh, <clears throat> we need to be at work, constant work, trying to improve ourselves for the glory of the Lord. I'm going to back that up a little bit first because i got a couple more things to say. Constant work so that we are trying our best to serve God. Now this, what I'm talking about, controlling your mind and, and becoming holy in your thought life and therefore in your, in your physical life as you narrow your focus and you've become more and more like Christ, does not get you to heaven. All right? None of this gets you to heaven. You, we Believers and believers, we're doing these things because we've already met the God who loves us. We've already found the Jesus who washed our sins away. And out of love and respect for Him, and out of understanding that He's got my best interest at heart, that He's smarter than I am, I'm going to do it His way because I'm learning through dumb decision after dumb decision that every time I go against what He says, it's not the best for me. So there's a selfish component in it if we're honest, but ultimately, there's a spark inside of us all that wants to honor God. And he wa we, we want to please Him. And it's out of His love that flows down to us that, that we respond in a way that's saying, I need to do the things that God says. Now, we talk about doing these things. And, and I, I read a, a quote from a, a pastor friend of mine. And, and I disagree with the quote. He's a great guy and he's a great theologian. And he posted this up, and, and I, would, I just, just agree with the snippet. Some of the ideas are okay, but we're going to explore this just for a moment before we dive into some more scriptures. And, it's, and it, he, he posted this up not too long ago. He said, when spiritual vitality, when you start measuring yourself by your sin avoidance, which is what we're talking about today, avoiding sin, we deceive ourselves into thinking that we're following Jesus faithfully. But, he, the quote says, following Jesus is to be measured by love. We were saying about love. Love, great love. Love for God and expressed in love for neighbor. Well, I couldn't disagree with the, with the concept anymore because it's not a one or. It's a both and. You can't, you can't snuggle up to Jesus and say, man, me and Jesus are great, and then ignore everything he says. And think you've got this great love relationship with Jesus because I mean, you're missing something. If we love, we're going to obey. We're going we're to hear Him. We're going to understand He's Lord. Neither can you just love all the time. Just, I, mean, I mean, you can't just love everybody into, into being. And neither can you, on the other hand, be like the, like the Pharisees that, that, uh, and the Sadducees that Jesus condemned because they had all the laws and they had written them out and they were trying to do everything, but they had no love. You can't, you can't have either end of the spectrum. You have to have both. If you're going to honor God, you have to love. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said this to the church. He said, uh, 
He said, you guys are allowing sexual sin into your, into your church that's even worse than what the pagans would allow. You got a guy who's sleeping with his dad's wife, and you all are proud about it. You're happy. Oh, we're good. We're loving. We, lo- we love people. And so you can't just all be all love, and you can't be all, uh, all sin avoidance. But what's, what's true about in, in these statements here, if you rearrange them, is that they're both gauges of your love for Christ. God loves us so much, He forgives us, and therefore we want to change for Him. We want to change so that we'll be a better witness and we can influence other people, and then we love people. So it's a combination of these things. Shouldn't it be both? Shouldn't we be loving and kind? And shouldn't we be concerned about sin? The answer, of course, is yes. Because the same Jesus in the Bible is not just the Jesus of one end or the other. He's both. He, he can be your Savior. The Bible teaches that. He can be your friend. The Bible says that. He will be your judge. He can be your lawyer. He'll be, he, the Holy Spirit of God will be your advocate, and He will stand before you, and He will take the blame for you. He's the king, and He's also the dismisser of sins and the dismisser of people. Depart from me. I never knew you. So the same Jesus in the Bible is all of these things, and we need to embrace him as the full and loving Jesus. Jesus himself said this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things which I say? Again, you can't just snuggle up with him and not obey. We have to do both. We have to do both. We need to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There's a great benefit both in the world after. There's a great benefit in joy and peace in serving God. And we need to give ourselves fully to the work. And His work does not only include doing things, it it includes becoming what He wants you to become. And it's more like Jesus. That is the work of the Lord to to change. If you all came this week and said, Greg, you know, I want to volunteer 10 hours this week. Everybody in this room, I, I... I could not put you to work. I, I don't have 10 hours worth of work for all of you to do. Other than to say, go to your neighbor and do something kind for your neighbor. Love people. Get out in the world. Live your life for Jesus. So the work we do is not in vain, but we need to work. Sometimes in my mind, <clears throat> I tend to get a little bit lazy. Anybody can relate to that a little bit? We moved into our, our, our house, the house we're in now, a couple of good years ago, and I haven't had a recliner the whole time. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I found a way to recline. I, I stacked the pillows up. I, I, can, I can get in a comfy spot, but I, I miss my recliner because I'm a creature of comfort, and I like, I like to just recline and just like snuggle in. You know, if we could have all lazy boys or bark loungers here, wouldn't that be just great? You wouldn't be hearing any of this. You'd be all, half of you would be sleeping by now. But we, 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 like, we like to just snuggle in and just enjoy the fruits of our labor, so to speak, or, or the good times and the blessings of God. But I get lazy sometimes, but the Bible, again, corrects my thoughts when I want to spend too much time on the couch. The lazy person, he thinks he's wiser than seven people who give sensible answers. We find that to be true in our church work. You know, the people who are doing all the hard work are, uh, are, are, are blessed by, by those who are the second-guessing committee, you know, everything you do, everything you do, well, that's not how I would, you ought to do it this way, you ought to do it that way. And uh, Anyway, uh, 
that's the process. It, the, the lazy people all of a sudden speak up and say, well, that's not the best way to do it. And while the workers go, hey, we're getting it done. At the end of the day, that's, that's the bottom line. We're working for the Lord, and we're working together, and we'll talk about the togetherness in just a few moments. So the people who are not doing seem to think they know best, and that's me sometimes, armchair quarterback. We ought to do this different. And then I've learned to think, and I think is a wiser way, is that at least I don't have to do it. Whatever way they're doing it, at least it, I'm not, I don't have to do it, so I can do my own things. So the Bible, Bible talks about laziness. We need to not be lazy. But the Bible also talks about just being a good person and a good citizen. In Titus 3.1, it says, Be submissive to the rulers and the authorities. Obey. Be ready for every good work. Now, let, now let me talk about this passage because you see the little dots in there? That means I cut stuff out of the, the Scripture, and that should worry you. That should worry you a little bit. It's like, wait, he's like picking out little pieces out. And if, if you think that way, that's good. You need to go read that whole passage and find out if I've taken it out of context. Because what we do here at the, at the church, what Bill leads us to do in a wonderful way, is we deep dive on a whole bunch of different subjects. And we learn a thousand things, nuances about that subject so we can know all about what God says about this subject. But in your time of need, in your time of distress, in your time of temptation, you, don't have, you can't remember everything that you learn, but you pull out the nugget. And you pull it out and you know it's in context. And you'll find this to be true. And that's the nugget that will help you overcome sin and keep you on the right path. So be submissive to government. Uh, some of you are probably like me. I'm just a tiny bit dissatisfied with the way our government's going. Just a little bit. Um, <clears throat> and so... It's okay to rebel against the government as far as, you know, go, go raise funds for somebody or something. Go picket or do something of that nature. Try to get people to see your, your, your opinion. But we, but we can't get involved in things that are illegal and moral in order to correct the government. The same is true at work. It doesn't just say, uh, it doesn't just say government authorities. It says all authorities, people God has placed over you. It's, it's true in your social club. There's, a, there's, there's, a, there's somebody involved in there who's got the right. You go to a restaurant, you've got to follow their rules. Even at church, we, we need to follow the structure. It doesn't mean you can't have a say, but it means that, that we, have to, we have to understand that God places people in authority. And if it's not you, then we need to respect those in authority. And we need to be all in on everything that God says. We can't pick and choose, cherry pick. Oh, this is, I like what God said about this, but not about that. We need to be all in. We need to pre present our bodies as living sacrifices. We sang about the altar, and, and sure, uh, the Old Testament, and God teaches about, about giving gifts to God and through His church. And, and Jesus loved the church and died for the church. But it's about giving ourselves on the altar, saying, it's all of me, God, I give to you first. And I want to be holy and pleasing to you. I want to do the right things. I want to make you happy. Again, we come back to our focal verse. Your word, O God, I've hidden in my heart for this purpose, so that I might not sin. I might continue to sin less against you. And we find that, that that's exactly what keeps us from going off the rails as God's words begin to fill our hearts. At first we start with the milk of God's word. And the verse we're going to look at next is Hebrews and it and it 
the part that's not on the screen says this. You know, when you were children, when you were babies, you started off with milk. The easy doctrines, the easy teachings, the love of God, Jesus died for you, and all those are foundational, and everything's built on those. But then it gets deeper, and it gets harder. And I have a, I have a one-year-old plus, little over one-year-old grandson, and I was there at the beginning when he moved from, from milk to solid food, and it's quite an adventure sometimes. It gets messy. It gets a little messy when you're you start diving in and start eating stuff you hadn't eaten before. It's like your stomach's growling. Your uh, your other habits are a little different. Let's put it that way. Um, you got it all over your face. It's not real comfortable. And and to move from the milk, the easy things of God, to the harder things, it's uncomfortable. But you you don't grow on the on the milk and the formula all your life. You got to graduate because solid food is for the mature. He's talking about the Word of God, digging in and letting it permeate and, and build your spiritual muscle, who by constant use train themselves, notice what it trains you for, to distinguish good from evil, to not sin. God's Word does that. Only when we, when we retrieve it and when we, when we receive it. God's process you know, is, is in you reading your Bible. He gave, you, he gave us the Word for a reason so that you could read it and you could understand it, you could digest it. But He also gave you and me the church, the bride of Christ, so that we could move forward and be more like Him in holiness. And so we need to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The, the, there's a time you need to rest every week. And there's a time also that you need to come to church. And you're here, and so, you know, I'm, I'm not like trying to whip up on you. Just These are the truths of God. I went the wrong direction. Let's go that direction. Let's not give up the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Sometimes, even as a pastor, I wake up and think, man, I'm tired. I'd really like to just stay home today. That doesn't happen very often because I so love being with you guys, but there's, there are the occasions when I'm not feeling great, and I just go, you know what? I'd like to kick back and just stay home. And then verses like this come to my mind. No, you need to be part of the, the, the process here. God is using that. And God has brought us together for the good of each other. You're not here just to get something. You're here also to give. That's the design of God's church, His local body of believers. We need each other. We need to be one anothering. Here's a whole bunch of one another passages that we're going to run through this morning. We need to submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. You know, I, I would say probably 99% of the decisions that we make as a church, both in staff meetings upstairs, private meetings between me and the pastor, uh, the deacons meeting, committees meeting, 99% of the decisions that we make are not morally, there's not a moral right or wrong. It's like, we could do it this way, we could do it this way, we could do it another way. And there's, there's not an absolute right, unless it violates the Scripture, which we pretty much try to take off the table anyway. But what happens is sometimes in this submitting to one another, instead of submitting to one another, we submit to our great idea. The other day I had a great idea, and you know why it was a great idea? Because I had it. Most, most of my ideas are great. 
until I talk to him about with somebody else, and then you go, oh, well, maybe that's, maybe that's not as good an idea as I thought it was. But we can come off when we're together as God's people, and we can get an idea that we think is a great idea, and we just run over people with it, and then, then we destroy people in order to get a, a particular outcome. So are, are you outcome-driven? Are you process-driven? Process-driven says this, I want to I give, I want to make sure the process honors God, and then I'm going to trust Him for the outcome. I want to make sure the process honors God, and I can trust Him with the outcome. If He says be kind and be gentle and be loving and all the things He says to be, I need to be that in the process, and if I don't get my way, it's okay, I can submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and trust that God is in the middle of that. We need to be devoted to one another. You can't, you can't be devoted to people you're not around. You know, you, you, you know the long-term, the, the long-distance relationships are hard to keep up. I mean, it's just hard to be devoted when they're not there. And it's hard for you to be devoted to one another when you're not spending time together, both in church and out. It can't just all be what happens here. And then we need to also do this. We need to honor one another above ourselves. And this all comes back to the sometimes I just don't want to be around people thing. Well, God says we need to be around people. That's how He works. We need to honor one another above ourselves. And then Jesus Himself said these words, As I have loved you, you must love one another. Uh, we, could, we, could, we, could, we could deep dive into that for about a year, couldn't we? How did Jesus love? <sighs> Endlessly. Continually. When people didn't deserve it. And so our, our job is to continue to love people. Again, we're not putting up with, with things that are sin and evil and wrong. We're not saying that. But you've got to love one another. And then, then this other verse here in Hebrews, encourage one another daily. Last week I brought up the statistics, and I don't know how true it is, but I think it rang, it rang true in my life, that 80% of the thoughts that, that people think would be categorized as negative. And I, I think that's... Gen- generally true of probably of of the old me and probably the general population that we have scary and and not good thoughts and I'd like to think that numbers way down on me it's not it's not zero but we have we have this negative and 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 we need to be encouraged everybody needs a shot in the arm somebody said this morning something about oh I I, I know you're probably tired of hearing this but you did a good job today and my response was yeah please don't ever tell me again that I've done a good job, because I tire of you telling, I said, anytime you want to tell me good job, I'm happy to hear it. Are you? And we need to encourage one another. There was a lady who, who, who had a beautiful head of hair, and she woke up one morning, and she said, she said, oh, I've only got three hairs left on my head, and she said this, she said, I think I'll braid my hair today. She woke up the next day, she had two hairs on her head, and she looked in the mirror and said, I think I'll wear, wear pigtails today. And she woke up the, fi- the next day, and she had but one hair on, on her head, and, and thinking you might, thinking, might think she'd be disappointed, she just said, no, I'll wear it in a ponytail today. 
She woke up the final day, had no hairs on her head, and she said, at least I don't have to fix my hair today. I, I mean, how do we look at things? Are we looking at things positive? We finding the good? We're saying, oh, well, the important things are still there. Love, Jesus, life, family, relationships, whatever you have good in your life, we can think on those things. So we need to encourage one another. We need to spur each other on. We need to, to nudge each other forward toward good deeds. How does that work? Well, it, it doesn't work like this. Well, I'm doing this, and I'm doing this hard work at church, and nobody's doing it with me, and I'm the only one doing it. It would be more like saying, hey, why don't you come do this with me? And bring people along. Nudge them along. Hey, have you thought about doing this? Have you thought about serving this way? Would you like to come to this? You become encouraging. We spur each other toward good deeds. Plus, you're building that relationship that make them feel more comfortable and more wanted here. It's all about the one anothering. That's what we do at church. Now, as far as the, the hiding God's Word in our hearts so we don't sin against Him, how does this all apply there? Well, it's easy to back away from relationships because relationships are messy. And they get even more messy if you take James 5.16 seriously. Therefore, confess your sins one to another. Oh, my goodness. Now, now I'm meddling in your life, right? But, but if you mess up public, publicly in front of a bunch of people, then you need to confess it publicly in front of a bunch of people. Hey, guys, I lost my temper. I said some things I shouldn't have said and let everybody know. And if you do it in private, you don't have to come to the whole church. You just go to that person and say, Hey, man, I really treated you poorly, and I'm embarrassed, and I hate that I did that, and I promise that I'm going to do better. And that's what repentance is. It's a promise to change. So we confess our sins to each other. We're, we're, we're transparent. We're all real people. The problem thoughts I have, prob probably not your thoughts. Your problem thoughts and behavior are a little bit different than mine. Okay doesn't make anybody better than others, but we're all moving toward the same goal, and that is to be together and to grow together, encourage one another in God's Word so that He can change us from the inside out. So there's no perfect people allowed. And uh, once we begin to know about each other's burdens and difficulties, then we can get down to the real heavy lifting, and that is to pray for one another pray for each other. We have a, a great prayer team that meets every Thursday, and they take field prayer requests from this, this uh, email address, and they then they send it out to people who want to be on that list. It's curated so that, you know, we don't share every detail about people and things that might be embarrassing, but um, we do share that, share requests that come in, and you can be on that list if you'll just let us know. But we need to be praying for one another. We, we know somebody has a need, physical, spiritual, emotional, whatever being uh, involved in other people's lives. And, and I like the way that Proverbs 27 kind of sums, sums this up for me. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So in this, in this Bible verse, in all the Scriptures that we find, we find that you are the sharpener and you are the sharpenee. It's your job to be together with God's people so that you can sharpen them, you can make other people better by the Scriptures you know, by, by the experiences you've had. And then you also need to be sharpened by other people, the sharpenee here, where other people pour into your life and you're willing to listen and hear what God has. And then together we come to be 
what God wants us to be. And we begin to treat other people differently. We begin to treat God, uh, others, as, as we would have them to treat us. And as a believer, that should be, we want to be spurred on. We want to be encouraged. We want to be uh, pointed the right direction. We don't want to be beat up, but we, wanted, we want to move in that direction. So you see, from the beginning, we talked about the verse that said, God, your word I've hid in my heart for this purpose, so I can become more holy, less sinful, and I might not sin against you. It's a worthy goal for believers. It's a worthy goal. I'm going to end with this passage in John 3.30. It sums up, I think, beautifully what this is about. John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. How does, how does him increasing and you decreasing, we, it, that's not some general way. It's like, oh, yeah, he, I think he decreased, and I, or uh, he increased, and I decreased. How do you know? Well, it's, it's measurable. You put on God's Word, and as you begin to think like God, the, your old way of thinking dies off. The old you dies, and you, and you begin to accept more and more of God's Word in your life. And it, it, you, you put off your old life, and you put on His new life. And your ways become His ways. And the power of the living God works in you and changes you into someone different. Isn't it a beautiful way that God's working? He doesn't have to give us insight, but um, as a matter of fact, I wish I had maybe known this many years ago. I could have seen how it was working. I could have worked it a little bit better. But this is how God's worked in your life all along to bring you to Him and then to refine you. And He's worked through the power of His Word, pushing out ungodly thoughts, ungodly attitudes, and making you more like Christ. It's a beautiful thing, and God's got a, a great plan. And all we need to do is walk in His plan. Absorb His Word. Receive it and implement it into your life. He's a good God. Would you pray with me? We are so grateful, God, that you have made a way for us to know you and through the power of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the blood that he shed that we can know you and be forgiven. And God, we are also grateful that in that process you did not leave us alone, but you gave us a plan and a way for us to absorb your very thoughts, your very desires into our lives, Lord, and that they would push out the things that, that wreck our lives and make us useless to you. We pray that today, however you've spoken to each in every heart, God, that you will open, open our eyes and ears and we will be able to say yes to you today. We ask now that you bless our time of invitation as we share together. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.